everyone. Welcome back to That's the Spirit, the podcast where the SOAS Spirit editorial team sit down and discuss our favorite articles from our latest issue. My name is Malika Shoaib and I'm this year's managing editor and I'm joined by my two co-editors-in-chief. Bosses and Louisa. And for this episode, we're going to be talking through our final issue of this academic year, issue 16. We're joined by Josh Mock, who is our international news editor, and by Lizzie Edwards, who's our new culture editor. So crazy. I can't believe that we're already at the end of the year. I mean, obviously for all of us, we've got a nice couple of months to look ahead of in terms of deadlines, but this is our last issue. So how are you guys feeling about that? So sad. <laughs> this is my first and now last year of working on the spirit because it's my final year at SOAS. So I am so sad to be finishing the process, but it's been really fun, way more fun than I expected in a good way. No, it's been, um, this is my second year with the spirit. So it's been very different than my first year, obviously, because we've all been online. And there were some concerns about how we would manage. Initially, it was only a few months and now it's been an entire year. But you've done very well. I think you've adapted very well. And I look back at this year with some pride. Absolutely. I'm, I think in a way, because we knew that we were going to be working remotely, we knew going into it that our communication skills would just have to be that much better and that we'd have to try that much harder. So I'm really definitely proud of how this year's team has handled it. And it's just been such an honor working with everyone. I'm so sad to be leaving behind the spirit. I mean, I'll save my, uh. my yeah, I know, I'll save yeah. my sappy bit for the letter from the editor because I'm sure nobody reads those. Um, so I'll just, I can pour my heart. I'd actually treat those There's like There's going to be like teardrops. Yeah, I know. I actually treat the letter from an editor like it's a diary because I know fine well that nobody reads it. <laughs> I'm going to read it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this issue, we do have some exciting pieces in the SOAS news section. So our front cover piece this issue is about the SOAS What the Fees campaign. Since recording this episode, our front cover story changed to discuss director Adam Habib's use of a racial slur during the all-student meeting on 11th of March 2021. Check out our new front cover story for more information on this, along with some student welfare resources. The article we're about to discuss in this episode can now be found on page four. A number of students are withholding their fees right now. They have a number of requests, it's not just about fees. I think they're also one of the key pillars of what they're asking for is free education, which is obviously good. That's at a government level, but they're going to be asking SOAS as an institution to put pressure on the government to democratize education. So what do we all think about that? I support that initiative. I think that university fees at this time or or any time since they raised it to begin with are extortionate. So I support them putting pressure on the government. I'm not sure like SOAS, I think in the article, Professor Adam Habib has quite a strong statement saying that it is more of a government issue. But I do think that SOAS has a role to play in campaigning for it. Definitely. Exactly. But he, he also did come out and say, though, Adam Habib, that he is a supporter of free education. Uh, it's just probably not possible in this climate, you know, free education is a problem. Or, it, or if it is not a problem, then it is a national goal. So I'm just not sure how pragmatic it is if individual SOAS students hold on to their fees. It also is a bit tricky because of SOAS's financial situation, which is actually addressed in another article we have in SOAS News talking about the rumours of a UCL takeover, which 
I think we can say have been effectively squashed by this article. So give it a read if you're somebody who's heard that rumor around campus during your time at SOAS. And that's got to be everybody, each and every person who's been to university. Yeah, <laughs> literally. First up, we're going to be tackling the news sections. And we're here today with our international news editor, Josh. So Josh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Josh. I'm studying BA Arabic and Persian, and I am the international news editor at Zara Spirit. So can you tell us a bit about the articles that our readers can expect this issue in the international news section? So there's a, a range of stories from across the globe. The first is all about legal reforms in Saudi Arabia, written by Anna. In Saudi Arabia, there isn't a codified legal system. It's all based on the discretion of judges in different areas. So this is part of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's modernization and overhaul of the way that the Saudi government works. So there's uh, some interesting analysis of that. Also from Saudi is about the release of Lujain Hathloul. He was an activist who was arrested and had been imprisoned and there was quite a lot of campaigning for her to be released. Uh, so Fakhria has written about that. Uh, in Turkey, there are student protests about the instalment of a rector at a university in Istanbul who was chosen by the government and there are concerns that he will dismantle freedoms on campus Another key region we're looking at in this issue is in Africa, looking at rulings in Nigeria where people have been asked not to use Bitcoin, it's been ruled an illegal currency. Uh, also, South Africa has been leading a backlash against Big Pharma about access to COVID vaccines, arguing that if less wealthy countries had access to patents, they could manufacture it themselves much cheaper and it would ensure that the world was vaccinated faster. Currently, wealthier nations are stockpiling both vaccines and not sharing the, the way they're made. Uh, also happening on the continent is the Ebola outbreak in Guinea. Uh, Maxine was looking at what's been going on there and why people are reluctant to A, be vaccinated against it and B, to trust health teams and then in Asia, we've got the Myanmar protest looking at the coup and why it happened and what the future of Myanmar looks like. And the final article is about British barrister Karim Khan being elected to the ICC as the new chief prosecutor. That's a good article to read if you're interested in global law. So yeah, Josh, I think you've done a great job this issue, as you have done with all of them in the past, of really giving our readers quite manageable access to these global issues that a lot of people otherwise might not be able to understand if they're just jumping into the stories now. Do you have a favourite article this issue? Yeah, I think it's important to share stories that quite a lot of British media avoid. Uh, British media tends to see international news as meaning America and maybe China. But I think there are a lot of things going on in the world that A, we should be aware of in a kind of solidarity sense and B, things that we can lobby government to, to make a difference about, things that we can sometimes see our own perhaps colonial past having an impact on the world news happening today. So I think it's important to share those stories and encourage people to, to think beyond what we see as the world. There's a lot more going on. And yeah, I'm keen to share that. In terms of a of a favourite article this issue, I think the one about the ICC's new chief prosecutor is interesting because this new prosecutor is a very intelligent, very, very accomplished prosecutor or defence barrister, but there's a lot of issues 
surrounding the legitimacy of the ICC in some and the decision in some ways. Some countries were kind of against the idea of having a British barrister at a court where Britain has ignored rulings by the ICC recently. So they, they argue you can't have a British person there because that's biased. And also questions around his election could be very consequential for probes into war crime allegations against Israel and other countries. So I think this is a person to watch in the world. It could, he could have major global uh, consequences and, and kind of change quite a lot of what's happening in international relations. Mm-hmm. It's interesting as well, because we actually have an opinion piece that goes alongside this article written by Bassett, who's our co-editor-in-chief. One thing that did stand out to me Similarly to the ICC piece is how a lot of the articles in this section are really targeting the centrality of Britain or the West. So one of the pieces that really stood out to me was about the COVID vaccines and access all over the world. I think one of the points brought up by Denise who wrote the article is whether or not intellectual property rights should be valid for vaccines when it's such a global issue and something that is really affecting people's lives. Yeah. From a personal opinion, it it seems quite immoral that companies can make money from vaccines, but also when you've found something that will save lives and potentially change the world, to to then keep it for yourself and not allow others to take it and use that knowledge. Really, I'd say that's neocolonialism. I mean, so us his motto is knowledge is power, because the whole idea is that if you have knowledge over a group, you can then control that group. And this is exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing big pharmaceutical companies supported by Western governments hoarding information that would allow other nations to get back to normal and protect their workers and protect people. But instead, we are sitting idly and letting these big companies charge countries phenomenal amounts of money for a vaccine that saves people's lives. And it seems that far too often we're siding with the companies rather than with the people. And yeah, I don't think that's right. Yeah, and I think this is what happens when, under capitalism, medicine and pharmaceuticals become a business rather than a purely social institution. So we'll move on to opinion now. And this is probably, I think, my favourite issue for the opinion section so far. We've got some really, really great pieces. Louisa, do you want to give us a quick overview of what we can expect in this section? So first of all, we have an article about racism against Asian people as a result of COVID. And then we have an article about the Texas storm. And it's talking about the inequalities that have been spurred on as as a result of that and before that as well. Then we have an article about the post-COVID tourism, what's going to happen, and it's centering on someone who works in the hotel industry in Thailand. And that's a really interesting piece because it looks a bit behind the news at uh, a person who's been very affected by the economy right now. Then we have a piece about the new free speech champion that's being appointed in universities and the potential issues that might arise as a result of that. We also have a piece about medical racism and the history of discrimination within medicine against the Black community specifically. Then we have a piece by our lovely national news editor, Fakria, and it's talking about the racial tensions in India. Then we have an article by Bassett himself talking about the new chief prosecutor of the International Criminal Court and how that might be a bit of a controversial choice. Then we have an article which was really interesting talking about the Black Lives Matter movement in Latin America and how that's potentially been overlooked in the media. 
And finally, we have an article about Facebook banning news in Australia and the repercussions of big tech having this much power. I think one of the really interesting things about opinion this issue is that we have two articles that can be matched up in the news section. So we've got the the free speech champion piece, which matches up with one of the pieces in national news. And we've also got Bassett's piece. So Bassett, do you want to tell me a bit more about your thoughts on Karim Khan's position in the ICC? Yes, of course. It is one of those articles which, you know, really has two sides to it. At one side, obviously, he's British, so that's good for Britain, I suppose. Also, that he's one of the few non-whites who, ha- who are in positions of power in any global organisation, which is, again, a step forward. However, there are deep-seated uh, problems with this appointment, his past track record, his future plans, the conflicts of interest, and just the overall reliance of international justice on figures, not just like Karim Khan, because I say in the article, that it's not just about this one individual. He is the linchpin of a wider phenomenon that is taking place where statism is creeping in in our global organisations, which is, which is serving to divide us further. I mean, I would urge the readers to read both the international news article on this and then the opinion piece to just get a holistic view, because I think we've covered this topic uh, very well on this issue. So, Louisa, what about you? What was your favourite article in opinion this issue? I found the piece about the spike in racism against Asian people, both in America and the UK, to be quite shocking. The article says that between January and June 2020, the Metropolitan Police had recorded about 457 counts of hate crimes. And I think that's really no surprise, given the sort of anti-Asian sentiments that have been spread uh, a lot online and by Donald Trump himself when he calls it the sort of Chinese virus and, you know, and kind of encourages people to resent Asian Americans and China itself as a country. And yeah, I think it just emboldens people who already hold quite bigoted views. And this article just kind of looks about the sort of effect that that's had on the Asian community. And it's very sad. A lot of people don't want to reflect on their own government's failings and they just rather have a scapegoat. One of the most popular conspiracies in America, this is, is that people believe that coronavirus was engineered in a lab in Wuhan and accidentally escaped. I think a YouGov poll in May 2020 found that 57% of Republicans believed that myth. So it it's just very depressing that there's this huge sort of wave of anti-Asian racism going on at the minute. But yeah, this article was just interesting and it really illuminates an important topic. I think perhaps one of the most powerful arguments that the writer made in this article was about how East and Southeast Asian, particularly immigrants, are seen as these model minorities. So any prejudice or racism against them is downplayed because they're seen as, oh, well, they're the good immigrants. So the West can't possibly be racist against them, uh, which I think is definitely a harmful sentiment. And we've seen the impacts of that. Yeah. Given all the talk that we've had about examining racism in various institutions, it's important to really shine a spotlight on the Asian community and make sure that they're not being overlooked because of this minority myth. I think my favorite article this issue was probably the one about the Facebook news ban in Australia. And it definitely did play into what we were talking about in our last podcast about the power of big tech companies. And it's interesting because I think last issue when we were talking about banning Donald Trump, I was all for it because I'm not exactly a Trumper, if anyone's seen the color of my skin. But um, yeah, I think 
the interesting part about this is now that Facebook is banning something that I am in favor of, the news, being a journalist. I have almost differing opinions on it. So I think this article, for me at least, made me really analyze the way that I'm looking at technology companies in the sense that I can be all for them when they're doing something that I like. And then as soon as they do something that I don't like, I'm like, well, this is too much power. So what happened for anyone who's not aware is basically Facebook banned Australia from being able to access news. And there was a number of reasons for this. One of the most poignant statements in the article was what happens when Facebook becomes a publishing company? more so than it is just a plain social networking site. And we obviously know that social media sites have gone above and beyond what anyone could have expected. What are your guys' thoughts on that? No, it, it is a daunting prospect, isn't it? I mean, if they become more than just distributors in the publishing or the news side of things, because they already have so much control over our lives uh, to the point that, I mean, it is free for us to use, but in a sense, we are the product that they are selling. So... Just to have them control another massive part of things that they consume is is really quite daunting. Yeah, I think this type of thing was the exact reason why I actually was not in favor of Twitter banning Donald Trump, because I just am very wary of... I understand why, because he was inciting insurrection indirectly. But at the time, I just thought, what what could it lead to? It's very much a slippery slope. And I think we're seeing that now. I also just think the whole, like, how much power we give tech or how how we'll be able to measure this, how they'll be able to filter out fake news, like how are we going to distinguish between fake news and just, you know, someone's opinion. It's it's very it's very murky and it scares me, <laughs> this, this topic. But this is so important what he just said, the one point, that it really scares how much power that we give to them. And I think that's, that is the operative phrase here, that we have to give it, the people, the users. I think this article does, does go a certain way in creating awareness to its readers and just sparking a debate on how much power we as the users are giving that platform because it is i mean in an ideal situation up to us to not pay heed to perhaps what they're telling us or perhaps not make social media our primary source of news so we'll move on to features now and we have a number of fun articles this issue we have a sort of diary should we say of somebody's week during the pandemic and then we have a lovely poem by William Todd. It's a poem called Melody. We should give that a read. Then Ella, our features editor, did a week of limericks. So she described her week solely using the limerick format, which is very fun. Then we have a slightly more serious piece about OCD and how people tend to view that as a sort of, it's become a sort of quirky character trait, but it's actually a very serious condition and the symptoms such as intrusive thoughts are horrible. So they kind of go into detail about that. Then we have a surreal short story, which is very bizarre, but quite fun as well. And then finally, our national news editor, Fakria, wrote a article which was a sort of spoof article, should we say, making fun of the fact that SOAS accidentally put on last year's graduating group that they had graduated in 1899. So that's a fun one. They all sound like really interesting reads, but having just gone through the short story, it's quite something, isn't it? It's just this parallel narrative mode that the writer uses. Yeah, it's definitely something not to read at 2am. 
No, I completely disagree. I think it's something to read at 2 a.m., which is exactly what I did. I read it at like 1 a.m. and I was like, I'm on the same vibe. Like I'm on the same wave of the, as this short story. But I am someone who loves the short story format because I think it allows you to be very experimental. And I did literature for my undergrad and that was like one of my favorite things to study was the short story. So I quite enjoyed that one as well. And the final section editor that we're joined by today is Lizzie, who is our culture editor. And she's been working with the Spirit the past two issues. So Lizzie, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, so I'm Lizzie and I'm in my third year of English undergraduate and I'm the culture editor for the Spirit. Great. And what can our readers expect this issue in the culture section? I know there's quite a broad range. Yeah, it's a very full section, this issue, which is great. I think we have seven articles. We have a brilliant review of the new Channel 4 show, It's a Sin, which is about the AIDS pandemic in the 80s in London by Louisa, who not only applauds its successes, but also highlights its oversights, which is really important to give a balanced view of new pieces that come out. We've got another great piece by Joe, which looks back at the 2010 comedy Him and Her in light of Rishi Sunak's budget presented earlier this month. Joe managed to interview Sarah Soleimani for the piece, who starred in the show, so that was really exciting and great to get her take on it as well. Then we have a piece on the recent Golden Globe nominations and the controversial snub of Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You in favour of Emily in Paris and the questions that this continues to raise about diversity and inequality in the industry. Next, we have a piece on how stand-up comedy is managing to adapt to the restrictions of the pandemic, in which Malia speaks to two young comics to hear their thoughts and recommendations on what has translated well onto the screen. Um, then we've got a review of SOAS student Conrad Suda Chatterjee's Zoom play, What's Left is Right, which questions the line between resistance and suicide against the backdrop of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Quite a heavy piece. Then we have a third review in which Ruth looks at the new Marvel Studios release WandaVision on Disney+. And... Finally, we have a great interview with SOAS alumni Rachel Saunders, which discusses the exhibition she co-created at the Harvard Art Museum called Painting Edo and its translation online in the face of COVID and as well as her time at SOAS. I think this section also kind of serves as a list of the things that are the most topical issues right now, what you should be watching. Uh, I'm definitely excited to dive into a few of the things I haven't seen yet. So Louisa, what was your favourite article in this section? I'm quite interested in the I May Destroy You snub because I was amongst the people on Twitter who were furiously uh, furious with that. And yeah, it's quite interesting, that article, because it goes into some of the statistics behind who actually, like the diversity statistics behind who actually chooses these nominees. So the HFPA, which kind of determines the Golden Globes nominees, has a voting body of apparently 87 members and none of whom are black, which has created a lot of controversy. It's quite appalling. And I think it makes me question the relevance of award shows nowadays because I May Destroy You has, and if you, this is comes with a bit of a content warning. So perhaps if this is a sensitive topic for you, skip, because we're going to be talking about sexual assault. But I have never seen so much discussion on Twitter about consent and what that means and the various forms of sexual assault. Um, and I think I May Destroy You had such a splash with that across social media. And I think, well, social media nowadays is far more 
of a determining factor in what should be getting critical acclaim or getting awards and everything. So yeah, I, I do sort of question the relevance nowadays because they don't seem to be effectively judging the content that we should watch. I see far more accurate summaries and assessments on social media in more casual forms or just across the media in general, to be honest, like articles. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that even though we may have more representation now, there still exists a problem when we're thinking about the larger structures and the hierarchies in place, in the sense that the people who are at the top are still these elite, rich old white men, basically, who are upholding the inequalities that are existent within the industry. So no matter how far we get in terms of representation of these you know, independent projects, if we don't change the larger structure of the industry, I don't know how we can improve the scope for diversity. I was just going to say, I think when you compare the content of I May Destroy You and Emily in Paris, and you compare the writing and the strength of Michaela Cole's writing and the bravery of it, it really highlights just how much harder she has worked for what she has created to the quite lazy writing of Emily in Paris, which might be fairly entertaining, but doesn't touch on anything of any real substance. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you're thinking about what should be getting critical acclaim, a lot of the times it seems more obvious for it to go to the, you know, the deeper, the more serious, the more artistic series rather than this fluffy, fun, entertaining series. Yeah, I think I am amongst other people just so sick of only seeing black creators get awards and stuff when the topic is about slavery. I think we really need to get beyond that. I want to see shows like this, which are really dynamic and talk about a whole bunch of other issues, get critical acclaim as well, because as mentioned in the article, which quotes Taya Burnett in Arcana magazine, it's so much harder for Black creators to sort of build up a portfolio and get funding and get, I guess, celebrity status because of all these barriers. Absolutely. And I think the nature of critical acclaim needs to either change or it will be rendered obsolete. Lizzie, do you have a favourite article you want to talk about? I really liked the him and her article. I really liked reading something that brought something from a sort of cultural past, you know, what was it 10 years ago that it was first aired into relevance again with current political events and decisions I thought that was a really interesting take and I thought it was great that he managed to interview Sarah um so yeah I just thought it was a really interesting intelligent and quite complete article I thought it read very nicely and Louisa you wrote an amazing piece on its sin which I still haven't seen but it's on my list how did you find that process can you explain the article a wee bit to us yeah, I think I think It's a Sin is something that everyone needs to watch, definitely. It was so refreshing to have a sort of series which has very authentic portrayal of queerness because a lot of the, I think the majority of the cast are queer actors. And it also is just so unapologetically euphoric at times with their partying and all of that. And it, it's quite fun to watch at the beginning anyway. And then, so as much as it's tragic, it's also you know, sort of a celebration of queer culture as well. But it did certainly have some some faults. Some things I wanted to highlight was the sort of gradual narrative sidelining of queer characters of colour in favour of Richie, the white protagonist, which kind of more broadly represents the sidelining of queer people of colour more generally in society, not outside of the show as well. And just the portrayal of Jill's character, I thought was a little bit bland. She's kind of robbed of any real individuality, in my opinion, because she becomes a character with endless reserve of compassion, which 
in the face of like con- consistent like casual racism and microaggressions from Richie's family seemed a little bit unrealistic so I wanted to raise that but other than that I think it's a really great show and I think nowadays cis straight audiences experiencing a pandemic can look at this with renewed sympathy because it's like okay imagine covid but then imagine it's tied to something as private and personal as your sexuality and then imagine the government's doing nothing about it and then we can maybe try to begin to understand how horrible the aids and hiv epidemic was so i mean i did think the point that you brought up in your article about someone's identity as perhaps a white gay man doesn't necessarily evade them from the possibility of being racist. So I thought that was a really interesting point um, because people do tend to level marginalizations and think just because you're marginalized in one area means that you're open to, you're, you've got this really liberal view of all, other people who are marginalized. So I thought that was a really interesting point. So we'll finish this podcast up by going over the sports and society section, which is definitely the fullest that we've seen it so far, which is nice because I remember last year we would struggle even getting a couple pages in and now we have a full section so Basit do you want to give us a quick overview of what we can expect in sports and societies this issue? No we do have uh, a really nice section again for this edition it really is going out with a bang certain societies this year so we have uh, three society shout outs to begin with the SOAS Water Aid Society, the SOAS Iranian Society and the SOAS Afghan Society and of course all of these societies are good just giving a brief overview of how their year has been, what they've done, what they're planning to do next year and just really an overview for readers that are interested. Uh, we then have an article by Artemis, uh, which really quite nicely combines stock analysis with vaccination and how they're both related and its implication on the wider British economy. And indeed, we could then extrapolate this to the global economy. It's a really a nice read. Then we have Our Streets Now, which is a piece on the SOAS chapter of an organization, which is the target of ending sexual assault. We then have uh, SOAS Marrow Brings Hope for the Morrow, this very um, interesting title of an article. Uh, this is, again, the SOAS chapter of an organization which is creating awareness about how easy it is for students, especially that are young, young adults, to donate their bone marrow, which is really helpful to, to patients of blood cancer. We then have an article on the Dead Philosophers Society here at SOAS. We then have an article on the British Red Cross on lockdown and its effects and its workings on mental health and self-care and how they're both interrelated. And we finally have uh, the Dominoes of Sports and Sanity, which is the last sporty article uh, in this edition. Um, And again, linking the choice of people to go and attend sporting events in person and its effects on people's mental health. We then have a really interesting article on horse racing and its reliance on uh, Arab money, to be specific, uh, the money of the Sheikh of uh, the United Arab Emirates, or very specifically Dubai, and his uh, organization, which really, his sporting organization, which really contributes to the global relevance of horse racing. And then we finally have an article called Open Season on the Open, talking about tennis and how it's done, how it's fared during this lockdown. So some really interesting reads. What do you guys think? How, which one piques your interest? I think as a philosophy student at SOAS, I was really interested in the Dead Philosopher, Sci- Dead Philosopher Society article. And in this piece, Sohan goes into how philosophy at SOAS has been something that's kind of, I guess, been seen as dying off in the sense that a lot of our modules aren't typical modules that you see in a canonical 
um, list of texts that you study at university. Um, and a lot of the times at SOAS, philosophy has been crit criticized as either too much religion rather than philosophy or as being quite epistemologically non-diverse, I guess, um, only really covering the same post-colonial, post-structural, post-modern thinkers. So in this piece, Sohan goes into how the Dead Philosopher Society has sort of been rehabilitating philosophy at SOAS. They do weekly meetings. They've also collaborated with other London universities. So I think what this society is doing is really important. And I really enjoyed reading their perspective. And what about you, Basit? Do you have a favourite article this issue? For me, the article that linked the Manchester United uh, stock with how vaccines were doing and just its broader connection to the British economy was really quite brilliant. Quite a brilliant analysis, really. And analysis, I know, sounds boring, but this article... Uh, brings it home in the end because it sort of tells us how we can predict what will happen with vaccinations and um, what will happen to the economy and then obviously that translates to how the world will be and when we'll be able to go out and buy all the things that we want to buy. What this article really does in its essence is tracks how the vaccine, the vaccination uh, drive is going in the UK and its effect on Manchester United stock which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And we can obviously see that there's a correlation as people get started to get vaccinated, uh, the stocks are rising which means that as consumers, people who buy manual tickets and merchandise and their stocks as well, uh, the consumer confidence is increasing. And that means not only Manchester United is doing very well, but also all of the businesses and big corporations that rely on people's confidence in the economy and the markets and the ability to go out and spend and enjoy is increasing. So this was sort of the, uh, I would say, the last word on if somebody still had doubts of where the world was going, it is, it is a good sign and we have this article shows us the numbers to prove it and that concludes our episode on issue 16 but it's not our final episode of that's the spirit this year look out for our behind the scenes episode where we're going to be going a bit more in depth into the other processes behind the spirit so from social media to our copy editing to layout to online editing we've got it all so definitely keep your eyes peeled for that and Thank you all to the editorial team who joined me today for this amazing discussion. And thanks to everyone. No, actually, I am going to get sappy. Thanks to everyone who got involved in the spirit this year. If you wrote a piece, if you read any of the articles, if you followed us on Instagram, we're so grateful for all of you. I'm so proud of the growth that we've had this year and it wouldn't have been possible without everyone who has been involved. So if you would like to read issue 16, you can head over to our website, soasspirit.co.uk and also be sure to follow us on all our social media pages at soasspirit and you can contact us by emailing spirit at soas.ac.uk. If you're interested in joining the editorial team next year, if you want to be on this panel of people who speak, keep an eye out for our summer application process. I think I'm going to be sending those out in July or something like that. So if you're around next year and you want to be part of the team, you can do so. So that's it. My name is Maliha and this has been That's the Spirit. See you next time.